right, today I want to talk about the 11th commandment. This is something that Body Bachman has been known for coming up with. This 11th commandment that Christians have today, thou shalt be nice. We have to be nice. You know this, right? We can't talk about things too harshly. We can't come off as judgmental or con- you know, condemning other people or confrontational. We have to be nice. Now, you'll notice this is not written anywhere in the Gospels. It's not written anywhere in Scripture. But it is a value of modern-day Christianity. Why? Because it's a value of modern-day progressivism. And we have to be, you know, tolerance is a virtue, um, just celebrating other people no matter what, their authenticity, their true selves, no matter if it's sinful or not, we're supposed to celebrate with everyone. And that means we're supposed to be nice, right? We're not supposed to be judgmental. We're not supposed to say things are wrong. We can't say one thing is better than the other. And so I want to get into a great example of Vadi himself explaining this. And then I want to take a deep dive into... Um, a video of Lecrae and a video of uh, Pastor Mike Todd, pastor of Transformation Church, someone I used to listen to actually very regularly in my early 20s. And so he gave a sermon talking about um, trans ideology and, and just transgenderism in general. And so we're going to take a look at some of those clips um, and, and just kind of compare that with Body's approach to this. Now, what you'll notice is all three of my um, sources today, all three of the videos we're going to watch are of Protestants. And I think that um, even just recently, when I was in uh, a, a group of Catholics, somebody asked, you know, why why is it that my Protestant friends are so much more outspoken and so much more bold than my Catholic friends? Um, I think that can be a sample size issue because I know a lot of bold Catholics and a lot of sheepish Protestants, and I know a lot of sheepish Catholics and I know a lot of bold Protestants. And so I think it's just a mix. I don't think that there's really, I don't think uh, you know that the title of boldness or the the, the uh, Champion of boldness would go to either Catholics or Protestants. Um, I think that well, me and Body would probably agree on the most is that that non-denominationals are probably the worst at being bold and actually sharing the truth, which is what you're going to see here with Lecrae and Pastor Mike Todd. Um, it's just this kind of concept of niceness that has really dominated a lot of the popular brands of Christianity today. You still have a lot of people who are more traditional, more conservative um, Christians, but I think in a lot of the Christian circles, you're going to see some of this niceness. So. Let's first let Vadi explain this. I think he gives a great example. This video quality is not great, but I think you'll really get the picture of what we're talking about. Before I start this sermon, listen to me carefully. I love wife beaters. I have friends who beat their wives. Okay? So don't hear me today bashing wife beaters just because I'm preaching from the tip. Now, you hear that and you go, huh? That's how every sermon on homosexual, not everyone, because I got some on the internet too, but that's how a large percentage of sermons on homosexuality start. With a 15 minute apology and disclaimer for everything that's about to come after. And then you close by reiterating the disclaimer at the beginning. Why? Because the 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice, which when you exegete the culture means thou shalt not be manly. Mm. Now, that's one of my favorite clips I've ever seen, I think, on the entire internet. <laughs> I think it's so, so good. But, and I think there's something that's manly about that, right? This this concept that we can be honest, we can be truthful, right, with what's going on, with the truth of our faith. I think that's something that is inherently uh, a masculine trait, Um 
that you know true masculinity is going to be bold it's going to be protecting and i think one of the things you're protecting people from is sin is the lies of the devil right spiritual protectors men are supposed to be spiritual protectors just like they're supposed to be physical protectors and sometimes to be a protector you have to be willing to hurt someone if a car is coming towards a person and you run up and you push them out of the way they might fall and hit the ground and that might hurt but it hurts a lot less than getting run over by a car or getting hit by a train right and that's some of the things that happen when it comes to protecting right police firemen like there's still people get hurt in the process of being saved and being rescued and i think that the feminized feminization of the culture of christianity especially has led to us not wanting to ever offend anyone ever um, say anything that could um be convicting to other people and so we just leave people in their sin we just say you know we'll just hope that they kind of figure it out we'll just trust that god is you know merciful beyond what he is willing to do in the gospels or what he tells us is the truth because God is fully merciful. But in that God is fully merciful in that he gives us what we want. He gives us what we ask for. And so if we spend our entire lives choosing ourselves over him, that's what he gives us for all eternity. There is no mistaking that just because you wanted to be nice or you want to be happy or you feel emotional or whatever. And so let's take a look here at um, some of the beginning here. This, this, I think this video, <laughs> Pastor Mike Todd, Shouldn't be as funny as it is, but it is, to me, truly hilarious. So we're going to take a look at it here. I, no, no, no. I'm not. This is not a bad. I need y'all to hear my heart on this. This is not a bashing. This is not. A, so right before this, he just said that God created male and female. Just quoted the first book of the Bible. Um, it's either chapter one or chapter two in Genesis, where it says uh, God created them. Male and female, he created them. God created men in his image and likeness. Male and female, he created them. He, if I was there, maybe I would have told him, is there something in the middle you could do? Like kind of a, like a little, maybe if somebody. So that's almost like a little, um, a uh, little Abrahamic, you know, like you have the story of, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham basically barters with God that says, you know, Hey, how about you don't destroy the city? If you find some righteous men. And we see these examples in scripture where somebody kind of barters with God and convinces God not to do something. Mike Todd would like to do that for God creating uh, us male and female. He says, maybe we could create a middle ground. What do you think? This is one of the most fundamental things of creation is that God creates us male and female. And here we have um, Pastor Mike Todd saying, hey, maybe we could, uh, you know, maybe you can mix this up a little bit. Maybe you might, you might be off here. Well, I was born like this. I don't know how I feel. That I, I feel you. And I wish that there was an option of other in the kingdom. In culture, you can make up whatever you want to. In culture, you can build whatever you want to. But if the truth of the matter is that if we are going to submit under what the king says, I'm going to have to wrestle with. So that's an interesting part right there, I think. He says that he doesn't fully understand it. Now, I think what he's trying to get at here when he says, no, 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 you guys have to understand my heart. He knows and understands what God teaches on this. He's actually not mixing up or confusing what the Bible says about this. And obviously, as a Protestant, he's only relying on Scripture. So he has to rely strictly on what Scripture tells us because he doesn't have any tradition or church teaching or anything like that that he relies on. So he has to just rely on Scripture, which he does. And he recognizes that Scripture says that I can't marry a gay couple. Scripture says that we were created male and female. But he's going through this entire thing, and this is what I think Body is talking about 
in the thou shalt be nice. And I love that, you know, he begins that sermon or, or that that video we watched of Adi Bachman there of where he says, uh, you know, I love wife beaters. I love people who are domestic violence. I love people who sexually assault. You can think of any sin that we condemn, right? To start with, I don't understand why God said this is wrong. But, you know, and I love the people who do it. And um, I want to be as uh, understanding towards them and their inclination towards the sin as I possibly can. I love men who commit adultery. And I just want to, you know, I understand. I, to me, if I could go back to the beginning and God said, you know, uh, when Jesus tells us that one man should take one wife, I wish I, I could, you know, argue with him to say, you know, this monogamy thing, maybe you're off. Maybe there could be a second option. That's basically what this is, if you think about it. This is, this is what we're getting into. Oh, God. The pastors don't say this because they want to be absolute. Well, why did they? I don't freaking know. Because clarity is, char- <laughs> clarity is charity, right? Clarity is charity. Well, pastors want to be absolute. Yes, because confusion is not good. Confusion is not a part of Christianity. <laughs> Jesus was very clear most, the vast majority of the time, right? Sometimes he spoke in parables to people that he only explained to the apostles, and then the apostles explained to other people, which is an example of the church and the bishops and the priests. But we'll leave that there for now. But just understanding, like, he's trying to advocate, all these pastors want to be clear and black and white. Well, some things are black and white. It can be mortally sinful to do some of these things. So telling people, I don't know, I don't understand, I'm wrestling with this too. It's actually not helpful as a spiritual leader. I know, honestly, I wish God would have made it so much simpler and it was like A, B, C, or D, like Frick. Like Frick. I just think, I mean, to me, this is the part where I'm like, this, when I watch this, sometimes it's really funny. My boy said like Frick and threw up his hands. Understand what he's saying here. He says, I wish God would have made it even simpler than he already made it. In the beginning of the video, he says, God made us male and female. That's A or B. Then Mike Todd goes on to say, I wish he would have made it simpler, though. A, B, C, or D. Now, I'm no mathematician, and I'm not a genius. But to me, having four options is not simpler than having two, especially when those two options are, basically, are assigned to you at birth. You don't even really have an option. So it's just kind of what you you're, you just kind of get what you get. So that's what I think is is really interesting about this. You just kind of hear him just trying to be as nice as he can while still trying to do which I appreciate, you know, admire or align with some allegiance to the truth. No, I'm serious. As a pastor, like, so what do you think about gay men? I don't know. Why don't you know? But he does know. Because he's going to say again, we'll see here in a second, I can't marry a gay couple. But I do know in the kingdom, uh, they're going to cancel me. In the I'm not the king. I I don't know why he decided to do it like this. I don't know why you're wrestling like that, and I don't know what to do to help you, but to stand with you and pray with you, and not and you're welcome at Transformation Church. Trans is in the title. Transformation, you can be here. Oh God, trans is in the title. You're welcome to be here. Now, obviously, 
saying that somebody's welcome at church is a good thing. Um, that there's nothing wrong with that. I think what what is interesting about this, and what I think is very much um, the uh, thing that Vadi's pointing out, right, was very effeminate, emasculating about watching him do this, is you you just you have no allegiance. You, you can't have any true allegiance to God, right? You can't be what he calls himself an ambassador of the kingdom. Um, you can't have all of that and then go and just blame the king and make him out to be the bad guy. In what world would a good spiritual leader, would a good pastor make Jesus the bad guy and himself the good guy? Think about that. Think about how damaging and difficult that is. In in all things, right, we should strive to make the king, Jesus, the creator of the universe, the good one, because when it comes to me or Jesus, when it comes to Mike Todd or Jesus, when it comes to my priest or Jesus, the bishops or Jesus, the Pope or Jesus, we are always the bad guy. <laughs> we are the villain. He is the hero. There is no confusing that. And so to sit here and prance around on stage and like Frick and all this stuff, and I don't know why he's doing this, like it sounds like um, a toxic marriage, right? Where you have kids and you're sitting here telling the kids like, I, you know, if, if my wife did this to our kids, we're just, I don't know why your father, he has all these rules. And you know, he's really strict, but we have to follow him, I guess, you know, because he's going to be really upset if we don't. And he set it up this way. And and I don't know why he did this. I wish he would have made it simpler. I wish I'm with you, you know, like I get it. It's difficult. I don't understand it. That would be a very toxic marriage. It'd be a toxic mother or father that constantly tried to take the side of the kids and undermine the authority of the other parent. That, that's essentially what you're seeing here. And this is where you need to have the church, right? This is why you have, this is why we have to be Catholic. And we see Catholics fall and do this. But the difference is, I think that we have the catechism, we have the saints, we have tradition that we can point back to and say, this is wrong because of X, Y, or Z. We do know why God made us male and female. We do know why God has prohibited gay marriage. There are arguments for all of these things. It's natural. We believe in natural law, which we're going to get into here in a second. But it, to just sit here and prance around and say, I don't know why he's doing this. I don't know why. God, like, God's a meanie. And you're a pastor? That, to me, seems really confusing. This is an argument you would expect to hear from an atheist explaining to a Christian that if you believe you're a Christian, this is you probably should abstain from these things. But I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't know why. Because they don't know God. They don't even believe God exists. So they're just saying, like, based on your teachings, you probably should abstain from this because it seems like you're really wrestling with this. So as your atheist friend, I'm going to encourage you to not do this because I know that this is something you believe in and this is your faith, but I don't know why God would make it that way. <laughs> That's how it sounds, right? Like somebody who just doesn't know the Lord and doesn't understand the church or scripture or tradition, anything. It's just like, I don't know, man. I wish it wasn't that way. You know, I wish he had done things differently. It's like, okay, that is a way to do it. Now let's get into uh, another example of this. I think a, a different approach. This was kind of, so what I think Mike Todd did there was kind of the self-aggrandizing, the self-promoting version of this. And then the other way that people go about this is a recent video of Lecrae addressing uh, Lil Nas X apparently made some comment about going into his Christian era while he was running around in a uh, denim skirt and doing all these things. And a lot of people, I think, understandably pointed out that hey, you're just kind of using this 
Christianity thing for clout. You're not actually being serious about being a Christian, um, which is a problem. And it's something that happens in today's world. I mean, there's that video of, of Candace Owens on the whatever podcast. And she gets in this argument with this girl who's like a um, olden fans or a sex worker or something like that. And she's like, um, you, uh, why are you wearing a cross on your neck? And she's like, I think it's fashionable or whatever. And she's like, you're basically making a mockery of my religion by just using it as a piece of jewelry, right? Using the cross as a piece of jewelry. And so people get offended by that and understandably so, right? That's not something that is nice to see. No, it's not pleasant. So we see this a lot. And um, look, Craig's going to take this other example of, of condemning the church. He takes this other route where he says, Christians are always mean to people in the LGBTQ community. We've, the church is always bad. We're always mean to them. And then he's going to give a lot of really bad arguments as to why we should, quote unquote, be nicer. I wonder if he has any frustrations or presuppositions or ideas about how Christians act toward him because potentially maybe he wasn't treated well historically. Um, and that, that's not a secret. The Christian community does not treat the gay community well, has not historically. So whenever you hear stuff like that, you always just have to ask the question, what does it mean to treat them well? And he's going to get into uh, some examples of what he, he thinks treating people unwell is, treating people them poorly. And there's ways that people actually do this that is... Um, is actually sinful and is hateful, but then some of it is just actually good. This is like the Christians who always criticize the pro-life movement and will say, well, there's people outside standing there shouting to women who are going into Planned Parenthood that you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're the worst person alive. And we would say, I think most Catholics, most priests, the Pope, of course, most bishops would say, yeah, we shouldn't do that as Christians. It's not a healthy form of evangelization, even though it may be true that if you go in and happily receive an abortion, um, or I wouldn't even say may be true. If you go in and excitedly receive an abortion or even, you know, cautiously, or you think that it's wrong, you know, we just saw this video come out or this story's coming out about Anthony Edwards, um, a famous NBA basketball player who basically convinced his girlfriend or a side chick, I don't know, because he's having two babies. He basically had two women pregnant at once and he convinced the one, he said, I want you to go get an abortion. And she didn't want to, right? So, both of them being culpable in that, him being callous and cold-hearted and convincing her to do it, but her also recognizing that this is wrong, recognizing that this is a life in the conversation she's had. She posted these text messages, this exchange between the two of them. She's recognizing that this is wrong. We could say that if somebody does that and then they died in the process or with no remorse without repenting, like that's not a good look for your soul, right? That is most likely going to lead you to... Um, not into heaven, right? You're probably going to go to hell because of that. That is a serious, serious grief, like serious sin. And so to recognize that these people are not expressing that message in the best way that for it to be received well, but it doesn't even mean that they're lying, right? People that are outside some of these abortion clinics talking to some of these women, in some cases, they are telling the truth. They are, they are spot on, right? But we still would recognize that praying outside, offering resources, being kind and gentle is a more effective and better form of evangelization and a better representation of Christ's love, even though sometimes sharing the truth in a bold way can also be helpful. But he's going to talk about basically anytime we share the truth, anytime you say, yes, if you practice a life of homosexuality for your entire life with no repentance, that is not good for your soul, that you are probably not going to go to heaven because that is directly what St. Paul says in the scriptures. Then people say, oh, that's treating the gay community poorly. 
right? That's just not anything to hide. Um, and that's because there are varying degrees of perspectives and objectives as it pertains to Christians engaging culture. Um, because here's, and here's a caveat because I, I didn't even know I was going to go here, but here's a caveat before we. I think it's interesting here. Like this is similar to Pastor Todd. Watch just the discomfort of handling this. And this is something that I think culture has gotten us really to a point of. But you'll watch Vadi Bachman, um, Bachum, I always say his name wrong, Vadi Bachum addressing this topic, addressing topics like these. And he's just very nonchalant. He's very calm. And he talks about them in a way that is very similar to how he would discuss another sin. And that was kind of his point of the video, right? Of saying I love wife beaters, you know, we've already addressed that, that we don't treat other sins the same way. And this is something that Lecrae's gonna get into here, and we'll we'll listen to him talk about this a little bit. But I just always find it so interesting, and I've said this before. Um, I actually wrote a blog about this one time that when it comes to the LGBTQ community, they a lot of times want to be simultaneously treated different and the same as other people in the church, right? And so They'll always say one of the biggest criticisms you get, and I actually saw somebody even talking about Lecrae's video here, which I think is very friendly towards the LGBT community, saying that um, somebody quoted on Twitter and was like, why do Christians always obsess over this? Of all the sins, they're always talking about homosexuality. They're always so honed in on it. That's one perspective, right? And so they say, put us back on the same playing field as other sins. We don't want to be treated as, as special. But then you can have a pastor or a priest um, that is giving sermons or talking about different sins. And one day they talk about um, the sin of envy. One day they talk about greed. One day they talk about lust. One day they talk about um, adultery or divorce or whatever, abortion. And then they get to homosexuality and they say, wait, 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 wait. You got to talk about ours in a special way. This this one has to be actually addressed in a, in a much nicer, more gentle manner. You don't just treat us like every other sin because this is something that is so core to me and so central to who I am. And this is how it goes, right? Where I just think that so often there's this desire to both be treated the same and be treated special. And so that's what I think doesn't make a lot of sense. If we're going to talk about the lists in, in scripture where St. Paul gives us lists of sins <laughs> that do not inherit the kingdom of God, the lists that include homosexuality on it, then we're going to talk about it like we're going to talk about all the other things, like it's apparent, like it's a, a great sin against God, like it calls out to heaven for vengeance, um, because it does. Like it's a, an abomination, like it's a sin, like it's a serious sin. We're going to talk about it like we're going to talk about those other sins. Or we cannot, and we can treat it special, but then if we're going to treat it special, that means we probably do need to talk about it more often if we're going to talk about it more nicely, if that makes sense. So I think that you have to have one or the other. You can't have what I think a lot of people want and what you see the Father James Martins of the world, what this, you know, the recent Vatican document does. It just creates this confusion and this hope for a lot of people that suffer or struggle rather with uh, same-sex attraction or have same-sex attraction. And they have this inkling or this desire to actually live the Christian life. I think that a lot of times what Father James Martin wants to do for those people all the time is um, and America Magazine took out an ad in the New York Times that said the Catholic Church is changing. And that's what they want to give. They want to give people this false hope that eventually the church is going to say this is okay. The church is going to say, you know what, sodomy, just have at it. doesn't matter. We've been wrong about this all along. And that will never happen. That is something that is never going to happen. And it's important for people to know that that's never going to happen 
because having a false hope that you're going to be able to live this sinful lifestyle and be vindicated at the end of your life at the final judgment or sometime during your lifetime that the Catholic Church is going to come and be like, yo, we were wrong. This is great. Let's start doing gay weddings. It's not going to happen. And giving people a false hope for that is not a good thing. It is not a loving thing to do. We get into little Nas X specifically. I'm a firm believer that, you know, same-sex attraction is not a choice for everybody. Um, and if you are born with a propensity or an attraction toward a, the same sex, that in and of itself is not condemnable. Like, that's not something you condemn someone for. And We would agree with that. That's explicitly written in Catholic teaching. It's in the catechism. We have always said that. Having same-sex attraction in and of itself is not condemnable. I think that's what's consistently happened in the churches. People have said, hey, I am attracted to the same sex. Oh, you're going to hell. Now, are there places in Christianity where this happens? Sure. What I get frustrated with this is I think that this is very similar to a lot of his takes on race, where they take something that existed 60 years ago, 100 years ago, that was very commonplace, that almost never happens anymore, and they try to make the exception the rule. They try to say, this is the most common way that Christians are responding when people say, I have same-sex attraction. That's not remotely true. That's not remotely true. You don't find things, I mean, Twitter is a dark place. You very, very rarely see people even on Twitter saying that. But I have never in my life, I legitimately think this is true, never in my lifetime, definitely not in the last 15, 20 years, seen a prominent Catholic speaker, priest, or bishop that said somebody that has same-sex attraction is going to hell because of that. That has not happened in Catholic circles. Are there some very, very fringe Protestants that say that? Maybe. But if you think about where the vast majority of Christians and people are experiencing Christianity, Catholic Church is half of that. Protestantism is the other half. The majority of Protestant churches are non-denominational, these big kind of mega churches that have the biggest attendance. They do not do that. Even mainstream Protestant denominations like Methodists, some rogue Lutherans, and others have gay pastors and, and priests and female priests and lesbian the quote-unquote priests and things like that. So where are they hearing this from? It's got to be some very, very fringe minority that doesn't really exist. But we're going to sit here and pretend like this was Lil Nas X's experience, and therefore this vindicates him and frees him up to be hateful towards Christians, to mock Christianity, because this fringe case that probably never happened in his life, maybe did, but at least hasn't happened in 20 years, we're going to make it seem like that was happening every day. And so therefore he's justified in hating Christianity. That's not okay. Um, on top of that, people outside the church have said, Hey, not only am I same sex attracted, I'm acting on it. And the Christian community is pointed fingers again. So again, here, this goes back to my, um, kind of standing outside Planned Parenthood example, right? Pointing fingers and say you're going to hell at gay pride parades and things like that. Um, screaming that they're going to hell, that God hates, you know, whatever derogatory term you want to use for people in the LGBT community or that those people use, not that you want to use, but you know what I'm talking about. These very hateful Christians that will really kind of condemn in a harsh way. Now, standing outside and say Jesus loves you, repent and believe in the gospel that I would not say is a hateful thing. That is, you can say pointing at somebody and saying you're going to hell. If you continue in this way, continue on this path, which again, that's how St. Paul talks. That's how the church fathers talk. That's how 
Christianity for a long time communicated messages to sinners that, hey, if you don't repent and believe in the gospel, if you don't actually repent of your sins and turn towards Christ and become a follower of Christ, you will not attain heaven. That is deeply rooted in Scripture. Now, we're going to get into some other things here that are not necessarily rooted in Scripture that I'm going to uh, disagree with Lecrae on, um, but I think that's just important to note that saying that, even if you're outside of the church, he, he says this like, and he's going to get into this kind of mindset of people who are inside the church or people who are outside the church and how we shouldn't expect people who are outside the church to live Christian lives, which I'm going to talk about a little bit. But but what about all the church who do all kinds of things that we would consider sin? Like, where's the uproar for, I don't know, gluttony? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and here's my my biggest issue when we come back to Lil Nas X. Okay, so this, I think, is another really good point here. This is another very, very common approach and um, I think mis- misunderstanding or uh, just a bad argument that people make is they'll say, what about all these other sins we don't talk about? And my response to that is we should talk about it more. Yes, there are seven deadly sins and we should talk about pride. I think we do talk about pride a lot. Pride is the root of all sin. We recognize that pride is is the, you know, in Dante's Inferno, it's like the the seven layers of hell, the seven levels of hell, and, and pride is the worst one. Um, lust is actually fairly um, not considered to be one of the worst sins. At least, I mean, it's a deadly sin, so it's still pretty pretty awful, but it's still not considered, you know, to be like the worst of the seven deadly sins. And so we recognize that. But at the same time, we do realize that... Um, just because we don't talk about other sins enough does not mean that talking about this one is a bad thing. Uh, it does not mean that recognizing this is a bad thing. People are just now, we're just now starting to see like the uh, anti-fat shaming, things like that, like uh, normalizing being obese, normalizing being a glutton essentially, right? Overeating and not taking care of your body, which God has given us. That is not our own, but it is given to us from God. You know, St. Paul says in um, I think it's Colossians. You are not your own, right? You were bought with a price. Your body is not your own. We recognize this in a lot of the theology of the body. You can't basically be a believer in the theology of the body and chastity and understanding that God gives us our bodies and we ought to honor God through our bodies and believe that we should just be gluttonous, obese, non-exercising, non-health conscious at all individuals. But we're just now starting to see obesity celebrated where that's kind of like normalized and celebrated. This has been happening with um, in the LGBT community, at least with the L and the Gs, for, for 15 years, 20 years now. We're very deep into this where this is actively celebrated. You have pockets of people maybe that celebrate adultery. You have pockets of people that celebrate um, you know, fornication and things like that. A lot of young people maybe outside the church, whatever. But you don't necessarily see that creeping into the church at the same rate that you see it in the um, LGBT community, right? You see churches that put up pride flags, which is a celebration of homosexuality. It is saying not just that you're welcome here, but saying that we should take, we support you taking pride in this sin. There's really not another sin that that applies to. <laughs> There's not, and I can't think of anything else, right? There's no divorce flag where you say, hey, we celebrate you taking pride in your divorce. Now, maybe they soften their teaching and they water down the teaching on divorce, and we should talk about that a lot more as well. Maybe they soften and water down their teaching on sex before marriage, on fornication, sex outside of marriage, or on adultery and things like that. 
That could be true, but there's still nothing that they actively celebrate. So yes, we talk about this a little bit more because it's becoming fundamental in the world and in the church where you're seeing a lot of churches and we're even seeing um, priests and bishops in the Catholic church, many, many Protestant denominations start to fold when it comes to this. And I think it's because the barrage has been so heavy from the world trying to advance this ideology. And we're seeing it take over the next generation, right? Where you go from 2% of people um, identifying as LGBTQ to 25 to 30% of Gen Zers. That is a problem. And to sit here and act like he does, like that's not a problem and that's not a bigger deal than the other things, I think is pretty ridiculous. It's not even about his, his sexuality. It's about his lifestyle choices in general, right? Like people are upset about his lifestyle choices. People are upset about rappers' lifestyle choices in general. People are upset about non-Christian lifestyle choices in general. What are we expecting? Why do we not expect sinners to sin? I don't understand that. Like a blind man comes on the bus, steps on your toe, and you say, hey, what the heck are you doing, blind man? Stepping on my foot, blind man? No. Okay, so happy to answer your question here, um, Lecrae. So how do we expect, why do we expect people who are non-Christians to have some sense, right? One, I think this is kind of the, um, you know, the soft bigotry of low expectations that you hear about sometimes when you talk about race. This is a, a, a term that has been made famous um, in, when it comes to race relations because you have this same mindset sometimes, the same kind of pride and arrogance gets brought into um, dealings between whites and blacks, right? A lot of liberal progressive whites that'll say some really, really racist stuff. <laughs> they'll be like, oh, you, you you can't expect black people to be able to figure this out on your own. I think a great example of this was the um, uh, stuff Joe Biden said about blacks when they were trying to, in in Georgia, they were passing the um, voter ID law, right? MLB pulled out of the all-star game out of Atlanta because of this, because Georgia passed this law that you have to have voter IDs. And you literally had white politicians that were saying like, black people can't access the internet. They don't know how to work computers. They can't figure out how to get to the DMVs. They can't drive there or figure out the directions. And they're just like too dumb to figure it out. So because black and Hispanic people are so dumb, we can't have voter ID laws because they can't figure out how to get IDs. Only us white people can. And then you'll have only white people voting. And I mean, people hear serious arguments like that. They'll actually say stuff like that with a straight face. And then they'll be like, and I'm advocating for black people. It's like, you are an enemy of the black community, right? You're an enemy of the Hispanic community. This is a terrible, terrible thing you're saying and terrible thing that you've done. Um, but people can't understand that. And then this is the same thing, but applied to non-Christians from a Christian perspective. Why do we expect non-Christians to live a Christian lifestyle? We don't, but we expect them to have some semblance and understanding of morality. And that's actually rooted in Catholicism and philosophy. There's a reason why when you're going to become a priest, right? When you're going to seminary, you go to philosophy classes. You take a couple years of philosophy, basically get a master's degree in philosophy, and then you begin studying theology. This is the problem when you skip learning how to think and you just jump right into trying to study scripture and bounce around from different churches all throughout your life, different denominations, you deconstruct, you come back, whatever, and then you try to become a, a voice, a leading voice for Christianity. This is what you get. 
is people who don't understand philosophy and don't understand right reason. This is also why people like Lecrae hate the Constitution, because they don't understand that the founding of our country, the idea of capitalism and law and order and natural rights are actually philosophical ideas. These these are <laughs> things that are founded in philosophy and natural reason. This is why you see in there, we talk about nature and nature's God and natural rights that we receive from our creator, those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, or, you know, they considered putting property rights in there, but included the pursuit of happiness because it was a broader term. Um, so thought Thomas Jefferson. So where do these things come from? How do we expect Christians to live not, well, we expect them not to murder people. We expect them not to rape. We expect them not to steal. We expect them not to do a lot of things because we've made those things laws. Now, the idea here that I guess you would hear back from somebody like Lecrae is, well, we've made those things laws because those are the laws of our country. We made those laws of our country because that's morality, right? Because we recognize that those things are immoral and we recognize they're immoral because um, one for us, they're considered sins, but we also can learn that from reason. So here I'm going to share um, a document here from the Catechism. So looking at the Catechism, this is paragraph 1954, um, section one here says the natural moral law. And this is something, this is actually a dogma of the Catholic Church. We were recently in RCIA learning about dogmas. Um, to remind you, there's kind of like dogmas, underneath that is doctrines, and then underneath that you have kind of practices in the church. Dogmas are things we absolutely have to believe. Um, doctrines are kind of that next level down that we really do have to strive to believe it and, and really hold it as true and consent to the faith of it. And then practices are the kind of things that we can actually start to kind of disagree with, but we should generally try, still try to submit our will and our mind to those things. Um, Hopefully I spoke all that clearly and articulately. Please look that up if you have any questions about it. But dogmas you have to accept. One of the dogmas in the Catholic Church is that we can figure out that God exists and some basic morality just through reason, just through the gift of reason. Going back to what we talked about already today, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, says that God created man in his image and likeness. One of the things that is that is that we are the only, one of the things that means is that we are the only rational creatures with a rational soul. So there's different types of souls for different types of creatures, right? You could say that, you know, I think this is somewhat Socratic, Aristotelian, um, but the church kind of agrees with some of this philosophy that you can say that there's different types of souls for different types of living organisms. We have a rational soul, which means we can choose. We can think of things like abstract things like justice and mercy. We can conceptualize those things. A dog, even an ape, cannot conceptualize justice and mercy right? They cannot actually think and choose and weigh their options and make a thoughtful decision. They can't think about the future. They may have some memories of the past, but they can't think about what they're going to do now and how that's going to set them up 5, 10, 15 years from now. There's a lot of things that we can do that they can't, right? And reason is one of them. So you can see here, paragraph 1954, the catechism says, man participates in the wisdom and goodness of the creator who gives him mastery over his acts and the ability to govern himself with a view of the true and the good. The natural law expresses the original moral sense, which enables man to discern by reason, the good and the evil, the truth and the lie. And so you can see here, this paragraph that quotes, um, it says number five, this is from Pope Leo the 13th says that the natural law is written and engraved in the soul of each and every man because it is human reason ordaining him to do good and forbidding him to sin. But this command of human reason would not have the force of law if it were not the voice and interpreter of a higher reason to which our spirit 
and our freedom must be submitted. Now we can see here some of the differences, and this kind of takes into account different cultures. Paragraph 1957 says, application of the natural law varies greatly. It can demand reflection that takes account of various conditions of life according to places, times, and circumstances. Nevertheless, in the diversity of cultures, the natural law remains as a rule that binds men among themselves and imposes on them beyond the inevitable differences, common principles. This is, again, how do we know that we should not steal? We should not kill people. We should not do some of these things. We recognize that this is where this comes from, right? St. Thomas Aquinas here at the top of the page says, the natural law is nothing other than the light of understanding placed in us by God. Through it, we know what we must do and what we must avoid. God has given this light or law at the creation. So this is from the beginning of time and extends to all men in all places and all circumstances. And so realizing this, we can start to understand that this is why we have some expectation, right? One of the biggest things that makes um, sodomy so uh, such a grave sin is just because of the fact that it is unnatural, right? We recognize that this is clearly not what these uh, what, what we're supposed to do, right? What these body parts are made for. So just recognizing that you, we do believe, and we believe for a very, very long period of time that uh, these things were wrong, right? We, we believe for a very, very long period of time, all of humans assumed that we understood without really clarifying anything that we only had men and women. For a long period of time, we recognized that a man should, because of that, we shouldn't, a, mar- a man should not be married to a man. It is not the same thing. These are different things. We, we actually were able to assume this stuff because we actually operated with reason. We operated under the understanding that um, some things were just universally true and not subject to our feelings or our emotions. Okay, now here is another part where Lecrae is going to talk about, he kind of goes on this diatribe, just this kind of monologue about explaining how he uh, committed some really gre- you know egregious sins. Um, he talks about giving a woman an STD and laughing about it, about fornicating, laughing about it, about getting drunk and blacking out and laughing about it. But there's a really interesting part I want to get to here because he's basically still kind of going on about how you can do all these things. And when you're not a Christian, um, you kind of laugh at them and you don't know that they're wrong. And so let's take a listen to some of this here. Walked through my neighborhood at 18 years old, opened up, let me not say what I did, committed some crimes. I don't know the statute of limitations on this. (laughs) The point is, I did not see anything wrong with what I was doing. It may be my conscience. I was like, yeah, this isn't right. But now that's one big but right there. I think it's exactly what we're talking about here, right? And I knew this as I was listening to this because it goes on for about a minute before I started picking up the clip here where he's just not talking about all these other things. And I remember myself doing this, right? Especially, I think, luckily, part of it was the graces of baptism. But I do recognize that natural law, natural reason existed for for all of eternity, right? For all, not for all of eternity, for all of creation. And we see this in the philosophers that come before Christianity, right? In places that did not have religion. In Athens, specifically, right? In Greece, you had these philosophers that came about and they kind of said, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. How do we figure this stuff out? We do it by thinking about it, right? Philosophy was basically invented as just thinking about right and wrong and higher things and not just being so consumed with the day-to-day life. But Right and wrong since have existed since the beginning of time. And people recognize this and people knew it. And so even in my own life, if you listen to my conversion story, I talk about some of my most sinful days, my most sinful times. I was deeply unhappy. I was deeply sad by it. And I realized even when I did things that I thought were right and I thought were good, that I felt bad about them. And over time, you can mute that and you can actually destroy your conscience in a sense. 
and you can darken your will and your intellect and your conscience to the point that you don't actually feel any remorse or guilt for sins. And you see this with really, really um, insidious people that commit really egregious crimes when they're in the courtroom. And it's like, wow, they didn't even show any remorse. That's a result of just quieting your conscience and really extinguishing any fire or the flame that God has put inside you at your birth, at your conception, right? When you were created. Um, you can do that over time, but it doesn't just happen immediately. And that's what I think Lecrae is kind of missing here. And he's kind of admitting like, yeah, you know, sure, maybe I didn't feel great about it and I felt bad, but how was I supposed to know it was wrong? It's like, that's how. Because <laughs> you know how you felt like a terrible person after you did those things? Yeah, you could have stopped doing them because of that. I still celebrated it with those who were willing to celebrate it. Why? Because I hadn't seen the light. My heart hadn't been transformed. How do we expect that to happen? Like, if some Christian would have came to me and said, what a dumb, ignorant sinner you are. Can't believe you're doing all this heinous stuff. God's going to get you. You think I would have been like, dang, I need to trust Jesus now. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe you wouldn't have. But it doesn't deny the fact that throughout the Gospels and throughout the early Christian years, which he seems to look pretty fondly upon when it comes to the evangelization efforts that they did, that's exactly what St. Paul did. St. Paul basically went to communities and was like, you guys are worshiping pagans and all the things you're doing are pointless and they mean nothing and you're living very sinful. And if you don't get baptized and repent and believe in the gospel, you're going to go to hell. And the actually the apostle tells us like 10,000 people joined the church that day. <laughs> That's like exactly, that's actually like exactly what happened. Um, we are over emotional today. We are a lot softer today, intellectually weaker and unwilling to like face difficult things. And so perhaps you could say that's part of the reason why we should not um, evangelize in this way, but it doesn't negate the fact that yes, at some point somebody does have to actually tell you that what you're doing is wrong. There is both the fear of hell and the fear of losing heaven that should motivate us whether we're not Christian or whether we are Christian, to entrust our life more deeply and more fully into the life of Christ, into God's mercy, his love and mercy, allow him to transform us so we can be people who can live out his will and be faithful to him for the rest of our lives so that we can celebrate all of eternity with him in heaven. That is a reality. And so this is where I think, I mean, it just really shows the holes. I think really shows some of the gaps in Protestantism when you start to see that it's like, well, how can we expect people to do anything good when they don't know, they don't have the light, they don't have Christ. It's uh, because we believe in reason. We believe in right reason and natural law. And that allows us actually to come up with some pretty, um, some pretty good morality for ourselves to do right and not celebrate wrong. Sure, we have a choice every time, right? When I was in that place where I was fornicating and um, being unfaithful and lying all the time to people, consistently lying and being dishonest and drinking and smoking and all that stuff, you, you know that there's some of these decision points. And this is something that I think is hard for us to recognize that other people have. And I get this. I understand the heart that's behind it. I don't view it as the same as kind of like what Mike Todd was trying to do with like, hear my heart on this and just trying to like relate to sinners. But there's a certain, um, I even had somebody respond to me in one of my blogs once that I talked about how all of us have the ability to choose to be bitter or choose to be joyful. Right? Because God can heal our hearts and he can restore us to the place where we can be joyful and have peace and all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Somebody once said to me, yeah, I believe that's true for me, but I don't believe it's fair for me to say that to the people that I've hurt. This is the difficulty of universal truth. And one of the lies that I think the devil tries to really push into our minds when it comes to universal truth 
is to believe that this is true for you and you should hold yourself to this standard, but nobody else should be held to this standard. So you should celebrate the sins of other people and feel deep shame and guilt and misery about your own sins because your sins can never be forgiven because you know that this is good. You know, this is something I think it gets a lot of people post-conversion where exactly what Lecrae is saying here, you can't expect these other people to live well, but you, you should have known better. You should have done more. This is the voice of the accuser. This is the voice of the devil working in our lives and trying to convince us that you got to hold yourself to this other standard that nobody else can be held to because you've done some things that are so awful and so terrible that can be un- can't ever be forgiven. And so you can't expect the people you've hurt to ever bounce back. I have no responsibility or bear no responsibility for the recovery of other people who I've hurt other than to apologize to them and to pray for them, sincerely apologize and to pray for them. I can't take and hold the responsibility of all the wrong that I've done and and expect that every ex-girlfriend, every ex-friend of mine that I've led or convinced to do something bad, that I have to bear the weight of the responsibility of actually making sure that their life is perfect now. I can't do that. And I recognize that for them, I think this message is true. I think the gospel message is true. I think the message of Christ being the ultimate healer, the consoler, and the Holy Spirit, that he wants us to all have that. He wants us to experience the fullness of life, that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. I can still believe that. I still believe that for me, and I have to believe that's true for them if I'm going to be Catholic. That's what this means. It's a universal truth. It's a universal church. It's a universal message. And so it applies to all of us, but I can still have patience with those people. doesn't mean if I offend my wife that I have to rush her process of healing, her process of trusting me again, or whatever it is. But I can still recognize that she still needs to turn to God and figure that out and receive the healing and the um, the the grace that can only come from the Lord. But I can't take responsibility. Just like I, if I can't blame everybody else for my current state, I can't take responsibility for everybody else's state, right? It can't be, I think the devil always wants us to have the, the worst of both worlds, right? Where we recognize that many people that have hurt us and, and wounded us over the years, that they don't bear any responsibility for us and where we're currently at, Uh, And we can't make excuses for ourselves there. But at the same time, we're responsible for everybody that we've ever hurt. And it can't can't be the the worst of both, right? I think the reality is that we're all responsible for ourselves. We all are responsible for the ways that we cooperate with right reason when we miss the mark, which is what it means to sin, right? To violate reason is what it means to sin, to violate the things that God has called us to do, to violate God's commandments for our lives as we know them at the time. We can't make excuses and say we didn't know any of it. That, oh, I didn't realize stealing and raping and pillaging was wrong. Ah, that's not true. You're going to bear some culpability and responsibility for that. But you can give yourself some grace for things that you didn't realize were fully true or nobody had told you about. There's certain aspects, right? Like something I think a good example of that would be like birth control. If somebody was a Protestant and they were in a church that, you know, celebrated and put everybody on birth control and thought the birth control was a great thing, and then they become Catholic and realize that it's, you know, it's seriously sinful. They're not responsible necessarily for that. I don't think that right reason necessarily tells you if your doctor at the age of 14 or 15 tells you to get on birth control, I don't think God's going to hold you fully culpable for doing that, right? For trusting the experts and your parents and your doctor and your life. That seems like a reasonable thing to do, but that's different. That's markedly different than um, somebody engaging in in sins that I think are very apparent and are um, discoverable through natural reason and natural law. Ultimately, we don't know how much culpability people have for different things, and so we have to recognize that. We do recognize that there's some deep brokenness in this world, from sexual assault to a host of other things, pornography now, 
that does enter in at a very early age and confuse people. And so we're not here to judge the culpability of people. But what we are supposed to recognize is that we, we're supposed to share the message of the truth, right? That you do have and bear some culpability. Just because you've never been baptized does not mean that you're just free of all sin, right? <laughs> I think sometimes people think that. I've even heard family members say that before. No, I don't consider myself a Christian yet because I'm not living up to the Christian standard. And once I am living up to the Christian standard, then I'll get baptized and be a Christian. It's like, well, you're racking up a lot of sin and denying yourself a lot of grace by not being baptized, by not being a Christian, and even striving to be a Christian and repenting when you fall, which is basically what it means to be a Christian in general, because none of us are perfect after our baptism. And so when you have that, I think we have to share the truth to people to understand the universal truth and the reality within which we all operate and live. And if we don't do that, we're doing people a grave, grave disservice. And so that's what it all comes down to. It's not about saying, oh, I can judge who's culpable and who's not and who's going to hell and who's not. Um, Generally speaking, you can talk about different lifestyles that will lead people to hell. It's not helpful. And the church never says any specific individual um, has ever been sent to hell. We don't believe that hell is empty, but we don't uh, confirm that people are in hell the way that we confirm people are in heaven, the people that we call canonized saints. That's what we do. We're in the business of getting people to heaven, so we're most obsessed and interested in who's in heaven and how we can follow their footsteps and their path to getting there, even though every path is unique and special in its own way. And so hopefully this was helpful. I think that that quote from Vadi um, is, is super applicable. I think especially as we think about how we're going to be men in the church, how we're going to lead, is how do we redeem this, um, you know, this 11th commandment? How do we uh, get our culture, our parish, our community away from thinking that niceness has to be the number one commandment that we follow. I think it's not even the 11th commandment. I think most of the world and most of the Christian church today has moved it up to being the first commandment. As though Jesus, when asked, what is the first and most important commandment? Like he said, um, oh, you got to be really nice to people and tolerate everything they do. I think that's how we actually treat it. So, all right. Thanks for listening today. Hopefully you enjoyed this. I look forward to seeing you again next time. God bless you. Be your best.